Amen. Well, good morning, Palm Vista. If you're a guest, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Palm Vista, and it really is a privilege to preach uh, this morning. What a, what a joy uh, to receive uh, new members and, and to see the Church of Christ grow um, and gather together. So we love you guys. Welcome, Gills. Welcome, Nick. Um, so grateful for, for both your families, and we love you very much. Well, this morning, um, we're preaching a sermon entitled, The Unseen God. This morning, we're taking a short break from our 2 Corinthians series to look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. This psalm is a psalm of lament, and it's, it's a psalm that's a, it's a pattern for God's people uh, that teaches us how to pray when we uh, find that our experience of life doesn't quite line up with what we know to be true about God. And I believe that uh, God wants to encourage you this morning, church, perhaps if you find yourself this morning in a, in a battle uh, for faith, in a time of grief or sorrow or struggle, or perhaps you're here this morning and you have others in your life that God wants to equip you to care for in those difficult times. Um, and we're going to look together here at Psalm 77. So let's look together at Psalm 77. We're going to learn with the psalmist what it looks like to take hold of the unseen God whose love is unchanging and who redeems his people with power. So read with me Psalm 77, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, and my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold open, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm you redeemed your people. The children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray. Lord, we we come to you this morning, each of us, um, 
carrying different burdens and weights, each of us facing different challenges and struggles. Lord, some of us are here this morning in times of great joy and rejoicing. Some facing difficulties that are just heavy upon us, Lord. I I pray that as we approach your word uh, this morning that that you would uh, speak to the heart of each one here, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that you would show us uh, your unseen feet. Lord, you teach us to take hold of your unseen hand, Lord, that you would show us your unchanging love and that you would reveal to us the, the redeeming power that you possess, Lord God. Lord, I, I pray that you would help our hearts to sing this morning songs of, of joy in you, Lord, in the midst of every circumstance. Lord, open my lips, uh, loosen uh, my mouth, Lord God, to speak clearly, uh, to be able to preach this word uh, without hindrance, Lord, to get out of the way, uh, that your scriptures might speak for themselves, Lord. May, may you do your work in your people this morning through your living and active word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of um, scary movies. I don't know if anybody here is. One of my children is. The rest of them aren't. Um, and in college, I watched, uh, when it first came out, this movie, I Am Legend. Uh, it's a zombie movie. It's, it's about zombies. And uh, at the time, I, I lived in this little efficiency in, uh, in Westchester, a little one-room, one-car garage converted to an efficiency pad. You remember that place. And in the back, there's this little bathroom. And there's this scene in I Am Legend uh, where the protagonist ends up like trapped behind this glass wall and like all the zombies are pounding and trying to get to him. And uh, it was terrifying. And I thought I was good, like I'm a grown man, you know, I could handle it. Uh, but I got back to my efficiency that night and I, I went back to get ready, you know, for bed and uh, go into the bathroom and, and get into the shower. And that sh- the shower is actually a shower with just one big glass wall. Uh, and let me tell you, I didn't shower for like a month, right? Because like I knew in my head like I'm safe, you know, it's, 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 you know, there's no zombies out there. There are living people walking the streets. Uh, but my heart uh, did not agree. My heart just kept pounding, right? Like, I, I was confident that any moment, you know, like, the, the walls were going to bust down. I was going to be the last one left there in my little efficiency in Westchester. Uh, there, was, there was a disconnect between what, what I knew to be true and my experience of, of, of life, what I, what I felt was happening. Right? And as Christians, um, there, are, there are certainly times like this where our experiences of life, the way we feel about God, the way we feel about ourselves and others, the, the things that are happening around us and the circumstances we see around us don't align with what we know to be true about God. This is the experience faced by the psalmist in our text this morning. This morning's text in Psalm 77, the psalmist is painting for us a rich picture of his fight to take hold of the unseen God when things don't quite seem to fit correctly. And However, before we really dig into the two truths that Asaph is clinging to this morning, I want to take a moment to acknowledge um, how uncomfortable this psalm can make us. Uh, I want you to look with me. Notice, notice how honest Asaph is with God. He says in verse 1, I cry aloud to God, aloud, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Asaph, he's, he's being honest with God, being very honest about his weaknesses, his doubts and struggles and pain. 
And for me, reading a text like this in Scripture is a, is a bit uncomfortable. The way that God is speaking to God, it feels like, is he being disrespectful? Is, is Asaph challenging God in Scripture? Is that okay? Can you say that to God? He's describing his attempts to find comfort. And he's saying, my attempts to find comfort from you, Lord, have been, have been faithful but fruitless. He says he remembers God. He, he's done it without wearying, and yet it doesn't bring relief, but just exacerbates his pain. It's like he's saying to God, the medication that you gave me, God, doesn't make me feel better. It just makes me more sick. I'm just more tired. I'm, 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 I'm more depressed. I'm more discouraged when I spend time with you. It makes him groan and moan with pain. He's, he's crying out to the day, and in the night, he's crying out. Uh, he describes it in verse 4 as if God is holding his eyelids with God's own fist and keeping them from shutting at night so he can't sleep. He's reaching. He's grasping. He's he's clawing for God, looking for something firm to to hold on to. And yet Asaph describes it as if his hand just keeps coming back empty. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to read this in Scripture. But it's so incredibly important. It's important for us to study psalms like this. It's important to us to study. This is called the psalm of lament. And I'm so grateful that this type of psalm, that this Scripture, that this is in Scripture for us this morning. For a couple reasons. First of all, um, because it means that God wants to hear our messy prayers. Asaph's whole prayer, his whole honesty that he's pouring out to God is grounded in this truth. Right from verse 1, he says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, why? He says, and he will hear me. The psalmist stretches out his hand in prayer because he is confident that God is listening and that God wants to hear his prayers. God wants to hear his complaints. God wants to hear his struggles and his shouts. God created you. He he created me for intimacy with him, for relationship with him. And that relationship requires honesty. It requires open communication. He wants to hear us, church. He wants to hear you this morning. He wants to hear our sorrows and troubles. Psalm 56, 8 describes God as, as keeping the psalmist's Tossings. It says, you have kept count of my tossings. The times I've turned over in bed at night and I can't sleep. You've, you've counted every one. It says, you put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? God pays careful attention to his saints. He, he wants to hear of our struggles. He wants to hear of our sorrows. He wants to hear our messy prayers. The reality is honest prayers to God. Prayers like Asaph's prayer this morning are actually um, expressions of deep faith. Because they're based on a confidence that God hears us, that he loves us, that he accepts us, and that he wants to see the darkest, the ugliest, the messiest parts of our hearts. It's a faith that says that God is not intimidated by our doubts. He's not intimidated by our despair. He's not intimidated by our darkness. So we don't have to hide from him or hide from one another. I'm so grateful this is in scripture. I'm also grateful because there are times where I feel like Asaph. And I need to be reminded, I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, this is not an unusual experience for Christians to face difficulty, to, to feel that misalignment and cry out to God in the midst of it. Um, and feeling distant from God doesn't mean that God is actually distant from me. So it's important for us to study Psalms like Psalm 77. And, and if you find yourself this morning in the place of Asaph, maybe you're sitting with him saying, God, I've tried everything and I, I feel like it's not working. Well, I, I pray that you would find hope this morning. Hang on. There's hope in this text. Um, 
And if you're helping someone, maybe you're, you've got a, a spouse or a, a child or a friend that you've been walking through these difficult times. Um, there's hope for them and for you this morning as well as you, as you lift them up and walk with them through this difficulty. All right, so now let's turn to these two truths that Asaph clings to. The first one we find in the, in the second chorus, starting in verse 4. Asaph, he, he begins to repeat the language of that first chorus. Um, but as he does, he starts to, to turn to one of two truths that are going to be revealed that he is holding on to. And the first of these is this. This is how he takes hold of the unseen God. The first way is by looking to the fact that God's love is unchanging. God's love is unchanging. Look with me in verse 4. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and, let, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart that my spirit made a diligent search. So Asaph begins to do a search. He begins to look. He begins to meditate. He's, he's looking to the past to make sense of the present because he believes that God, the, the God of the past is the same God of today, that, that this God is an unchanging God. And so Asaph is reminding himself, he's, he's rehearsing to himself truths that he knows about God and what God has been like in the past. See, Christians, uh, we're, like, we're like great ocean liners. Um, if you know what ocean liners, when they go out to sea, when they're heavily laden down and they know the seas are going to be rough, they actually have in their hull uh, these compartments, these ballasts that they fill up with seawater. And it sinks the boat down deep in the water so that when the waves hit it, the, the center of gravity is low and the, and the ship can withstand the storms and the waves. And so we also are like those ocean liners. Asaph is like that ocean liner filling his hole up, filling up his, his ballast with the truths of God's unchanging character. He's practicing what the Bible calls biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is different from a Buddhist or New Age meditation in that those are focused on emptying the mind, on, on forgetting self and emptying your mind and your, your thought life of, of all things. Where biblical meditation, every time it's described in Scripture and certainly here in our text, it's the process of remembering, of pondering, of considering, of appealing. These are the words we find throughout our text and throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's a, it's a process of, of fixing our mind on truth, filling the, the ballast of our souls with truth of who God is, of what he has done, and in doing so, anchoring ourselves to reality. Asaph in our text, he's not just passively riding the waves of his emotions. He is paddling against the current of his mental river. He's, he's searching. He's looking for safe harbor. And he does that by, by looking to what God has done. So Asaph, he makes a diligent search. And in our text, we see he, he describes this search with three pairs of dangerous questions. Each of these questions uh, for Asaph are simultaneously an admission, um, a confession of his doubts and his experience, as well as a confession of what he knows to be true about God. They're both. By stating them, he's both saying, this is how I feel, God, but I also know that it's not true. So they're honest confessions rooted in deep, settled faith. Let's look at them. First one, the first pair is in verse 7. It's a question of, will God still accept me? It says in verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? God's favor is his acceptance that he takes delight in his people. Uh, his spurning is his rejection. Uh, 
And, and so Asaph is saying, is, is God still going to accept me? Do, I feel like you haven't. Uh, do you still accept me, Lord? Have you changed that you no longer accept your people? Is my mental or circumstantial anguish a sign that God has abandoned me? And he goes on in verse 8. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Asaph is asking, does God still love me? The steadfast chesed, this is the, the covenant, enduring, loyal love of God. It's the covenant love of God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. His, his covenant love that endures through generations and generations, ages and tens of thousands of years. The covenant, loyal love of God that does not change. And he's saying, has it run dry? Has his love stopped? It feels like it. Are it promises at an end? Have his promises stopped enduring forever? Then in verse 9 he says, has God forgotten to be gracious? And the pairing with that, is he in anger shut up his compassion? The figure here is of like a, like a fist that's been clenched around his compassion. And, and so no longer is he showing love, but his, his knuckles are white with anger. His, his grace is his favor, his, his kindness to the poor and undeserving. His compassion is, is, is his love poured out of, to those people who don't deserve it, to those who can't earn it, to the weak and the powerless. Has God stopped caring for the weak? Has he stopped noticing those who are in anguish and pain? These are dangerous questions, aren't they? They're honest questions. They're faith-filled questions. Are you comfortable praying these kind of prayers to God, church? Do you have the faith to pray to God like this? To be honest with your doubts and struggles? Asaph was. He prayed courageously, and we have it here in Scripture because he, of all people, knew intimately of the covenant love of God. And he knew intimately that that covenant love had not ceased. See, Asaph, the writer of this psalm, um, served as David's chief musician. And um, he would accompany his co-writer, Jeduthun, uh, the two individuals that are mentioned at the beginning of the psalm. Um, they would uh, go into the tabernacle to play the holy music before God as the sacrifice was being made at the altar. That was his job. And in 1 Corinthians 16, at the second half of 1 Corinthians 16, 41, we actually hear about the song that, that Jeduthun would play and that, that Asaph would sing with him. And, and it says this. This is what the song was about. It said, they would give thanks to the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. That was his job. That's what Asaph did. Is he went before the Lord and sang a song of his steadfast love and said it endures forever. This is the same language used here in verse 8. It's the same language uh, used earlier when he says, I remember my song in the night in verse 6. What song is he remembering? He's remembering to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. It's a song that Asaph would sing before the altar. And maybe now Asaph is having trouble, is struggling even to speak, but he can still hum to himself the chorus and remind himself the truth that he once knew, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, that he should give thanks to God even though his troubles are overwhelming him. Asaph is filling up his hole. He's being honest with God and honest with himself, filling himself up with the unchanging, promise-keeping love of God that this God doesn't change even when our circumstances change. That he still accepts us. He still loves us. He is still merciful and gracious and compassionate. 
that none of that has changed just because his experience of life has shifted. So Asaph is honest with God. He has a confidence in God's unchanging love. But church, our source of confidence this morning is so much greater than Asaph's. We don't simply look back to a sacrifice made on an altar in a tabernacle in the, in the wilderness. The unchanging, covenant-keeping, loyal love of God finds this fullest expression in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we get to look back to. We certainly get to look back to all the things Asaph did, and we get to see Christ crucified. You see, we can cry out to God with courage and boldness and confidence and honesty because Jesus cried out for you on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a confidence before God because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And that gives us the courage to be honest with him in our deepest and darkest circumstances and to be honest with faith. Jesus, he was forsaken that we might be eternally accepted. He endured the wrath of God that we might have his loyal love forever. That his promises might endure unto eternity. That he might be the first fruits of all creation and you will be the second. His hands were pierced with nails that they might be open to you in compassion. We might receive the gracious mercy of God that we don't deserve. Oh, the cross, church, the cross for us is a ballast. It's an, it's an anchor for our souls that gives us the firm footing to cry out with courage and take hold of the unseen God when, when his footsteps are not seen. We can, we can cry out to him with courage because we know what he has done for us on the cross and it's proven. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to cry out to God because you feel like he has forsaken you. You see things, maybe there's things you've seen in your life, things you've done, maybe things that have been done to you that just don't make sense. And you feel like because of those things, perhaps because you're so dirty, because you're so worthless, God is keeping his distance from you. I want you to hear this morning in God's word that his love is unchanging and it is poured out for you today. God cannot and will not forget his compassion to his people. In Isaiah 49, he speaks about his covenant love that he does not forget his people. He cannot forget his people because he has engraven their names on his hands. On the palms of his hands, their names are written. And when he looks there, he sees your name. Nothing you can do, nothing that can be done to you can disqualify you for the love of Jesus. His compassion, his love is enduring and abundant and sufficient to cover any and every sin and brokenness and worthlessness that's all covered by the blood of Jesus that he makes us worthy. It's a beautiful truth, church. <laughs> that's a stable ballast for our souls. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know that kind of love, You've never experienced that kind of unconditional, unmerited favor from God. Let me tell you, his hands are open to you in mercy this morning. And he offers his love to you freely, without cost. Asaph, he can cry out to God in the middle of all his mess because he knows that God is a merciful, loving God who's made a way for him to be acceptable. 
That same God has made a way for you to be acceptable to him. In all your mess, you can reach out to him and, and, and simply open your hands and receive the mercy that he has poured out for you. It's available this morning for you, right now. Take hold of the unseen God because his love is unchanging. Point two, take hold of the unseen God because God redeems his people with power. We've been going to the beach a lot lately. The weather's started to turn. And um, I asked my youngest daughter if I could share this, and she was excited for me too. We, we, um, when we, we go to the beach just this week, we were out there, and the waves have been like quite large lately. Uh, we go out to Hollywood, and the waves are just pounding. And my littlest, Olivia, she's, she's, she's only five, and she's, she's small. She gets out there courageously in the waves. Like, I've never seen a little girl. I mean, these waves are like over her head, uh, beating her up, crashing her over, and she's rolling around in the, in the sand. And she is, just, she is just insane in the way she goes after these waves. And uh, I'm so proud of her. She's so courageous, and I tell her that all the time. Um, but the reason she's courageous uh, is because she knows that she's not out there alone. Um, in fact, I'm standing right there with her and have since she was little. And we've had this thing ever since she was a little bitty girl uh, out in the ocean that she, I don't know why she started saying this, but one day uh, when she got a little scared by the waves, she started, she turned to me and said, Daddy Tower, Daddy Tower, and she would climb up on top of me. And, and ever since, she, she uh, will be out there in the waves and she sees a big one coming and she's scared of it. She says, Activate Daddy Tower, and she climbs up on top of me and she gets up out of the waves. Uh, I'm her Daddy Tower because she, she knows that my, my hand is always nearby. Uh, when the waves are too much, when, when, when they, they seem like they're going to overwhelm her, uh, she knows that the, the hand of her father is always close by to pull her out. The psalmist this morning, he's taking hold of the unseen God because he knows the hand of his mighty, redeeming Savior is nearby. Even when he can't see him, he knows that the hand of God is a saving hand that is powerful to save, and it's, and it's near him. We can feel this intimacy, uh, in fact, in the shift that happens in verse 11. In the second half of verse 11, Asaph moves from speaking of God in the third person, speaking about God, to speaking in the second person, speaking, speaking to God. Um, begins addressing the God who is near to him, the, the powerful, saving God who is near. You can see God, uh, Asaph, speaking this, this powerful, giving, saving God. He, he speaks of him as a mighty, saving power. Look at, look at the language he uses in verse 10. He says, then I said, I will appeal to this. To what? To the years of the right hand of the Most High. Anytime you read right hand in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it's speaking of the power, the strength, the might. And so the right hand, the power of who? Of the Most High, uh, the most powerful God, the God above all gods, the God above all creation. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on all your mighty deeds. Asaph is recounting and going through the many times that God has saved his people, the many ways that God has, has worked his redemption and his salvation. He's filling his hole with all these memories of God's proven power, his saving purpose for his people. Verse 13, he says, your way, O God, is holy. It's holy. It's unlike anyone else. What God is great like our God? No one. <laughs> you are the God who works wonders. You've made your might known among the peoples. This God is a mighty God. He's a missional God. He, he works this powerful saving power and displays it to the nations. His saving work, it's a, it's a mighty testimony. It sets him apart from every other God. And then he gets specific and he gets personal. In verse 15, he says, with your arm, there's that arm again. With your arm, you 
redeemed your people. That's rescued them from slavery. The children of Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Joseph, if you remember from Sunday school, was Jacob's favorite son. And Joseph, he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And eventually, God used Joseph to save Joseph's family, including his jealous brothers who sold him into slavery, uh, by moving the whole clan to Egypt and providing for them during a time of drought and famine. After a while, uh, Jacob and Joseph, they, they died. And their children had slipped from a position of prosperity in Egypt to uh, a position of slavery and oppression. The children of Jacob and Joseph in our text are these children who were in slavery in Egypt. Uh, they remembered God's providence. They remembered God's salvation to their fathers, but, but they had reached a point of, of despair. They were being oppressed by Pharaoh. And they may have been tempted to wonder all the same thoughts as the psalmist was in his text this morning. Has God forgotten about us? Has he forsaken his love? Does he remember his promise to our fathers? It's at this point of despair, at this point of human weakness and inadequacy. They couldn't save themselves. God chose to display his mighty power. He chose to display his mighty power by saving, by redeeming and rescuing his people from slavery. In the last stanza of his song, Asaph, he paints for us a picture of God's salvation of Israel. When God rescued, led his people out of slavery through the Red Sea by the hand of Moses, and Aaron. And Asaph uses this crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the waters, uh, as a vivid picture, of, uh, as a canvas to paint a vivid picture of this mighty Redeemer. So look with me in verse 16 and, and see if you can, uh, with me, uh, enter with him down into the valley with the, with the Israelites. See if you can smell the sea salt, if you can, if you can uh, place yourself right there with the Israelites as they're walking through the sea. Verse 16, he says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. The arrows flashed on every side, and the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph, he's presenting God here in awesome power. He's presenting God as, as dominating the sky and the sea, dominating with mighty, conquering, powerful, redeeming power. See, the deep waters in Jewish thought and Hebrew thought were, were dangerous things. Uh, waters, deep waters especially, were, were considered uh, the source of, of formlessness. Uh, there was great fear associated with it. it was danger and evil associated with deep waters but these deep waters when they're faced with the power of the most high god the power of your most high god even the waters shook with fear and scattered before him they're pictured like like captured soldiers standing at attention and shivering as the conquering king walks through the middle they're, these this is this is the god that you serve church he's a powerful mighty redeemer the psalmist wants us to, to be right there with them, to picture God as, as parting the sea with his body as he, as he pushes it aside and his people walk through behind him. Church, when your God acts to save, you understand nothing can stop him? When your God acts to redeem, no one can stand in his way. 
He is a mighty redeemer. He is a mighty savior. When he moves to act, the whole earth shakes with fear at the sound of his footsteps. This is a mighty, powerful, saving God. And he is in the midst of the waters with his people. This mighty God is walking with his people. He's, he's, he's treading with them through the sea, down in the valley between these high, towering, uh, scary, terrifying pillars of water as the whirlwinds are spinning all around, right in the middle, looking small and weak and powerless are his people. It says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What a shift in language here from the psalmist. Can you feel it? Israel is pictured as a huddle of little white clueless sheep in the midst of this mighty God, in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all these raging waters and winds, being gently urged along by their shepherd. Israel, God's mighty nation, without a way to defend themselves, apart from the power of their unseen God, the power of the God whose footsteps they can't even see. Asaph's confidence, my confidence, your confidence this morning to approach the mighty God in honest and courageous prayer is not founded upon your strength, not founded upon the might of your faith, but on the proven, mighty, rescuing power of your redeeming God displayed in the midst of our helplessness. God purchased, he redeemed Israel from slavery, not because Israel asked for it. In fact, right on the edge of the waters, they asked to go back into slavery. He, he purchased them from slavery, not even because they were grateful when he rescued them. They were going to go and complain against him all the way through the desert. He rescued them because he is faithful to his covenant redeeming love. He is loyal in his love to his people. And he's a mighty redeemer who always keeps his promises. At the very edge of the waters, Israel, they, they begged to be sent back to Egypt as slaves. But I want you to listen how Moses responded to them in Exodus 14. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, <laughs> you shall never see again. Verse 14 the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Listen, maybe all you can do this morning is be silent. Maybe all you can do this morning, uh, you, you haven't the strength to cry out to God, but you can sit and hum the song. You can hit, sit and listen to the words about God's faithfulness and, and let them fill the ballast of your soul. Knowing that God hears your prayers, knowing that God loves his people, knowing that God is loyal and faithful to his promises, and he will not abandon his people at the edge of the waters. No, but he will walk with them, walk through them in the midst of it. See the image presented by Asaph at the start of this psalm of, an, of him reaching out and stretching out to God in faithful prayer. It's completed in verse 20. As we see God now outstretched, reaching his arm down to hold the hand of Moses and Aaron. As he walks them gently, faithfully, courageously across the waters. 
In their weakness, he is strong. In their weakness, he is a mighty, mighty redeemer. Oh, church, if you are here and you are in Christ, Christian, God has redeemed you by wading into the waters of sin and death for you to bring you safely to the other side, to bring you safely to eternal rest with him. Praise Jesus, we are still walking between the waves. We're still walking between the pillars of water, but God's unseen hand will lead us safely to the other side. Do you believe that, church? God is walking with us. God is with us in the waters, and so we can cry out to him with courage. We can trust him when he takes us down into the valley between the dangerous waters that he will not let us drown. He is our strong tower. He is our ballast in the storm. In fact, he is the one who commands the rain. He commands the storm. The the winds and the waves, they tremble at his voice. And he's the one who's holding your hand. He's the one, the shepherd, who's walking with you, little sheep. When you can't find your way through, though his footsteps are unseen, he is walking by your side. Thank you, Jesus. For those this morning, perhaps, who find themselves um, caring for someone who's struggling and doubting. Maybe you do have a spouse or a child or a friend. Maybe an uncle or aunt that you're or a nephew that you're, you're walking with through a difficult season as they, they doubt and they struggle and they, they're wrestling in the deep waters. I want you to hear this this morning, that, that God is the one who is holding them as well. You understand that? It's not your job to fix them. It's not your responsibility to make it all better for them. What God has given you to do is he's given you to point them to the one who hears, loves, and saves his people. He's given you to encourage them, to bring their cares before the Lord, to remind them that God is a mighty Savior who has not forgotten their loyal love. And God is the one who's going to bring them safely through the dangerous waters. I pray he would use you like Moses and Aaron to be a listening ear, a crying shoulder, to remind them that they're not alone in the valley between the waves. And that Jesus, that God himself, is the one with the power to redeem. It's his hand who will guide them through the waters. They cannot see his feet. Church Asaph, he doesn't end the psalm by declaring that he's all better. (laughs) He doesn't tell us that his circumstances are changed. He doesn't tell us yet if if his heart has agreed to be comforted. But what we do see is that Asaph has turned his eyes upward. And he's now beholding the mighty power of his saving God. This faithful God who can be trusted and has always been enough to care for his people. And church, let us take hold of his hand this morning. Let's take hold of his hand this morning because he walks beside us in the dangerous waters of life. His love is unchanging and God redeems his people with power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithful, loyal love. We thank you, Lord, because we know that our love is not faithful. Our love is not loyal. Lord, our faith is not steadfast, but often shifts, teeters and totters, Lord. But Lord, our hope is not in the strength of our faith. Our hope is not in the faithfulness of our love, Lord, but in the faithfulness of the loyal, eternal, loving God who has established from the foundation of the earth his promises to his people. 
Lord, that you will not, you have not changed. I pray this morning for your people who are walking through the difficult waters this morning. I pray for those who are between the waves of life, Lord God. They, they feel crushed and squeezed. They're reaching out to you, Lord God, and they've heard no reply. Oh, Lord, would you take their hand this morning, Lord God, and speak words of comfort to them, words of hope. Would they know the love of the loyal, steadfast God? Would they know the comfort of the saving, mighty God who walks with us in the dangerous waters? Lord, would you give us patience for our brothers and sisters and for ourselves when we walk through these seasons, Lord God? And we be those who can walk patiently when we don't see because we know the end, Lord, even though we don't see it. Lord, I, I pray, Lord God, that you would give us joy this morning, even in the midst of sorrow. You would give us hope this morning, even in the midst of despair. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. There's no shadow of turning with you. Lord, you don't change. Your compassions, they don't fail. As you have been forever, you will be. And our great hope is that we have pardon for sin and a peace that endures your own dear presence, Lord, to cheer and to guide us. Lord, give us strength for today, a bright hope for tomorrow. These are blessings you have purchased for us on the cross. 10,000 besides, great is your faithfulness. Cause our hearts to sing to you, Lord, great is your faithfulness. church, if you would stand, I want us to sing this song, Great Is Your Faithfulness. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling with those doubts, you're struggling to hear and to see, perhaps you just need to listen to the words. And in that case, church, sing loudly so that those around you who need to hear these words can hear your voice declaring them to be true. Sometimes we need one another to fill each other's ballasts with these truths, amen? Let's sing together, Great Is Thy Faithfulness.